What is up, future fans and friends? It's time to buckle up for the next hour. You're about to get on the D train, and it's a fun, fast, and F-laden ride. In case you can't take a hint, F-bombs are going to start dropping immediately. If you have young children nearby, you might want to skip this episode. Okay, you ready? You can't take a bag of balance to the bank. You can't, you know? You can get ahead by getting the fuck ahead. Few designers have achieved the level of fandom, recognition, and success that my next guest has achieved. The odd thing is, he's a bit of an oxymoron. He's made it big while deliberately staying small. He dispenses wisdom while simultaneously being self-deprecating. He doesn't care about budgets or money, yet has launched multiple brands. He hates wearing pants, loves his mom and dad, is proud to be working with his buddies, and is doing whatever it takes to make it in the little leagues. When I asked other designers, what's the secret to his appeal? They immediately grin from ear to ear. It's his authenticity, transparency, relatability, passion, and humility. He's one of us, they say. He's the people's champion. Who am I talking about? You know who. And now you know what time it is. Let's do this. Remember, you are not defined by your past. The future is what you make it. My name is Aaron James Draplin. Uh, I'm 43 years old. I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm a graphic designer and um, a son and a boyfriend and uh, a co-worker with a couple buddies. And I make uh, logos and lots of DDC merchandise and uh, field notes uh, with my buddy Jim Kudal out of Chicago, little memo books. Uh, I go on tour and, well, talk about what I do all over the place. And uh, about a year back, a book came out called uh, Pretty Much Everything, uh, 256 pages. I got to make a book. And for the last year, we have promoted that thing. And so I just got off a big book tour where that's where we first kind of spoke. Um, I was driving. Um, and, yeah. So I guess just to put it into a little, you know, I'm a graphic designer, but kind of doing whatever the hell it takes to make it in the little leagues, let's say. I love that. Um you're one of the first people that I heard on stage that just come out and say how old you are, where you're from. It seems to be a big part of your identity. And why do you do that? Well, every year I get older. It's like interesting to me, you know. I mean, I don't understand why people wouldn't. Why? Because they're, they're like, yeah, I know you're not supposed to ask people their ages and shit, but. I really nerd out on it because if I find out that someone's speaking that's 27 and it's going to be a little different perspective than if they were 47. If they're 47, I perk up because they've got, you know, four years on me. And I really, really, you know, I'm always interested in like full disclosure, you know, because there's lots of ways to hide behind things. You know, there's lots of ways to uh, represent yourself one way. I just kind of like putting it all out there. That's really the only way I know how to do it. I hope it doesn't come off as a shtick. You know, or something, but um, I like saying it, you know, and being uh, comfortable enough to let people know exactly what my deal is, you know? Yeah. And in a lot of the conversations I've heard you online, whether you're doing a class for Skillshare or speaking at a TED event or something like that, uh, the conversation inevitably bring you bring up your parents. And I just wanted to ask you, 
they obviously are a big part of your life. Uh, I know your father passed away. Can you talk a little bit about what they mean to you and what impact they've had on you? Well, yeah. I mean, my mom and dad, my, you know, my mom and dad were cool. My mom is, you know, my, my dad, we lost my dad a couple of years back. And, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And, you know, instead of it being this prickly thing, I, you know, he wasn't that kind of guy. He was the kind of guy that was funny and wild and, and kind of hard to corral. And, and I, you know, I kind of like, I like to talk about it. And him, I like to talk about how I, you know, if I miss him, it's, it's like, it's fun to go home and, and, and talk to people about him because, that's really where he still lives in a lot of ways. But growing up, you know, I was just really lucky to have a cool mom and dad. Now, cool is a weird word, but it just the idea that it was just the right sprinkle of authority, I guess. And then also, you know, like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? You know, this sort of like, you know, this Midwestern worrying quality where like, we want you to go to school, we want you to do these things. But also this kind of adventurous kind of thing where they're like, well, but, you know, you have to go make it happen. And we'll, we'll, um, you know, we'll support you. Th- that's all I need. I just needed a mom and dad who would, you know, kind of get behind me, you know, because along the way they taught me how to take care of myself and um, whatever that means, you know, be it, it's all kind of like money-based stuff. You know, it's like I, when I went out west as a kid at 19, my mom and dad didn't really cut me a check. It was more like, well, if you're going to go do this, good luck. You know, we, we support you. You have our blessing. But there is, there's, no, there's never really a big bank account to tap into. And why I'm so appreciative all these years later is because I didn't need any of that shit. You know, they had already taught me how to think creatively and taught me how to, um, you know, ask them for help if I needed help. I mean, and, and usually it was like, you know, my dad helping me change brake pads or something over the phone. Um, you know, I had buddies who had a mom and dad who um, you couldn't approach. Or when I would go over there to hang out, you know, with a buddy, their mom and dad uh, would kind of grill me, you know, what my parents do, what I do. Or just kind of say, you know, why are you parking in the driveway? You know what I mean? That was the extent of someone's sort of interaction with me. My dad wasn't like that. My dad, my mom and dad were warm people and they'd make you a sandwich. So I'm just really thankful for that. And, you know, over the years, I would use my dad to uh, sort of make fun of and mess with in my travels or bring him out here and make drawings of him or and just, you know, basically explore graphic design through my mom and dad kind of like you know every year i make my mom some kind of a graphic you know a little birthday graphic or something and those things they all add up they're all these sorts of uh like you know i don't i don't want them to be something that that's hidden away you know so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm really open about it and and i understand that like um you know some people don't have that same sort of um you know luxury with their mom and dad whatever you want to call it i just i'm just really they lost their moms and dad like mom and dads when they were young you know it sounds to me like you have a really amazing special enviable relationship with your parents and now that i'm hearing a little bit more of your story i think the thing that is so appealing about you is your willingness to strip it down and just to say it the way it is and you know what if you don't like me you don't like me and i think the whole part where you talk about how old you are you're from portland this is your relationship with your parents it it makes it very personal and i'm learning things from you as i watch and listen to you because i think a lot of people, there's their private life and then there's their public persona and they're working really hard to maintain that. And that's what's different about you. When you put it that way, it gets a little heavy because it's like when I think about it, if I had to like go out, like I'm a nightmare as it is. If I had to go out <laughs> and it like ramp that up more for some stage persona or something, that just sounds just so creepy, you know? But I, I, I know, I know, I know because, you know, 
I've been lucky to meet a lot of heroes out there. Sometimes good, sometimes a little weird. For the most part, totally cool. And they, you know, they sort of weren't what I thought they were going to be. And sometimes that's actually really fun because sometimes unfairly, you know, either through someone's big name or whatever, you uh, think they're not going to have you know any time for you. And then they do. And that's a good one. Other times, you know, where you're... You know, you're a gentle little citizen and human being, and, you know, you go through the normal course of how you meet someone, and they just instantly write you off. I mean, that's okay, too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of up for whatever. Um, but, yeah, to go out there and do it, uh, it is, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to think about that part, you know, because this story isn't about something that I tried to concoct, and then, and then I, I, you know, I sort of, like, turn that thing on and turn that shit off. No, this is my life, you know, and the idea that if I can get ahead by coming in on Saturdays and Sundays, well, that can apply to some kid, and I want to talk about that, you know, I, because that's how I did it. That's just the best way to put it. That's how I did it. And that's not what I was told. I was told that you need to have account managers and you need to have things and overhead and stuff and maybe even decorum, some sort of business acumen where like all these years later, you know, I love the idea of like a client coming in here and being able to take a load off because they're instantly sort of at, at ease and they can just say, hey, hey, this is meant to be fun. You know, take your, you know, all the jokes about the pants and shit aside, but... <laughs> Just be relaxed while you're here. There is none of this, like, you know, no one's, like, what is your most relaxed self? If that's at home, you know, when you get home and you're, you know, I saw a picture of, is that with your little boy? Yep. Okay. So maybe your best time is with your, 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 your I mean, how old's your boy? Yeah, he's 10 right now. All right, 10. What I'm trying to attain here is I'm trying to attain a life where whatever my, my most comfortable moment was, that's where I'm working, you know, and that's my, you know, it's like, you know, for a Saturday, I know I'm supposed to go to farmer's markets and, and, uh, just, I don't know, whatever other painful bullshit people do, but I love to come in here on a Saturday because this is my hobby, you know, and, and in a lot of ways it was a hobby before it was a job. And I love to talk about that or talk like that when I'm up on some big stage and just to kind of like, you know, be as self-deprecating as possible until someone meets me out, you know, at a merch table or in the hall or, you know, and, and you know, and I'm a, I'm a regular person they can talk to. You yeah. Know? I think your story resonates with so many people and you've built up almost like a cult-like following. And it's pretty interesting for me to watch as a practicing graphic designer, but somebody who works on branding projects for other people. Can, do you know why people seem to flock to you like this? To like pick it apart i don't know man i mean that's that's a tough question because it's like i would just hope that someone's interested first of all in the the whimsy of the graphics you know they can walk up to my stuff and go well i like this it's not some inside joke it's not overly ironic it's not too cynical you know my little kid would like this little piece of merch you know uh, that there's an enjoyment quality. Like, that's my first goal. Like, this morning I got into the shop and there was an email, and it just, this guy just slams me for my hats. First off, he said something like, you know, what do you say? Something like, you know, the quality of your hats aside. You know? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man. And then he went in to, like, rip me apart. And I just, you know, l listen, listen, anybody else, if the kid says, you know, he says, this doesn't fit my big head. I want my money. You know, I, I, I want an exchange. He slams me. For the quality, and they're actually 
pretty nice. It's a hat, you know. It's a nice hat. So, you know, I've seen nicer hats, and I've seen shittier hats. Our hats are a good hat. I'm not, you know, that's why I continue to make these things well and sell them. And, you know, he slams me, and then he wants to talk about the exchange. Well, here, at that, at that level, I'm getting better and better at just kind of writing on the back and saying, just send it back to this address, and I'll send you your money back. Like, not even a thank oh. you, not even a whatever. I just go right, because, you know, I can just tell his character. You know, like so fast. Now, two emails later, a kid had a problem with his poster. It had a little corner ding or something. Now, we might have put that ding or, you know, some you know, dipshit at the USPS might have backed over it with his, who knows, you know. Now, who's responsible for that? Every single time that thing comes back and that kid's, you know, out, you know, he's bummed on his poster because it got crinkled or, or it's got, you know, I just sent him another one. There's no question asked. Like, I lose money. But, I mean, he could take it up at the post office and that, you know, 19 months later, they're going to reimburse him for whatever the damage is. No, 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 no. He was a human. He asked me. He told me something happened. You know, what, what are his options? And I just went right to the very top and just said, hey, I'll just send you another one, man. No problem. Thank you for believing in us. Thanks for buying our fun stuff. And every order, you know, there's stickers thrown in or whatever. You know, like every time you order something from Field Notes, there's going to be a pen or a, some little pin or goodie or something thrown in there, bookmark, something fun. And that's, that's this idea of constantly messing with the bottom line. If the bottom line is everything has some UPC code on it and you have to make a profit, but I don't want anything really to do with it. I want to be able to just give stuff to people. Like, you know, what people don't see is at the merch table, if I notice a kid, and these are even at these big conferences, if I notice some kid digging in his wallet who, who you know, can't afford something, I'll just kind of, you know, without embarrassing us, go, hey, man, just take this. You want the book? Take the book. Because I made enough on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And you ought to see these guys, like, light up. And I'm just going to say, listen, someone did this for me at some Jesus Lizard uh, uh, merch table in 1992 or something, <laughs> you know? Someone did this for me. And I'm doing it for you. Like, this isn't, I'm not here. I mean, of course, we're there to make a big old profit. Of course. You know, I take care of a lot of people with this stuff just around me, you know. So, of course, we're trying to maximize. But I want there to be room if a guy, or like the guy who bought a couple hundred bucks worth of stuff. And I just went and said, stop. Don't go anywhere. And I just grabbed him another 20 bucks worth of goodies and just said, please, thank you so much. Here, let me sprinkle this into your bag. You just, you just set the record today. Thank you. Posters and hats and goodies and field notes and shit. Here's a bunch of extra stuff. Thank you. Because, you know, I just remember being that kid when you would buy a record and then they were, you know, and these are little, these are little, you know, little tricks and stuff to get you to look at, you know, the next thing coming out on Sub Pop. But they would send stickers and buttons and goodies. And it meant a lot to me in Michigan where we didn't have any of that stuff, you know. So, I don't know. I just... <sighs> I just want to live a life that's comfortable, you know, and be approachable. And the, I, I'm trying to answer why people are, you, know, you said something about phenomena or you said something about like what's, you know, this sort of interest. I, I would just, you know, I really like the idea of like people like kind of writing me off as like, you know, some big brash thing until they meet you. And they just, you know, then you're just a regular person. And, you know, by no means do I have it all pulled, you know, have it all figured out and pulled off the way I always want to pull it off. But, they can come right up to me, you know. 
I've tried in a couple other respects with some of my sort of like heroes. Ooh, and things, I don't want to say things got weird, but they weren't interested in talking about whatever my, I was interested in. You know what I mean? They let right. you know it real quick. And that's okay. Life is weird. But some rat kid who comes up to me and wants to tell me about, you know, him liking my design, I'm all ears. I am, I mean, you know what I mean? I'm all ears. I've got time for that. You know, I'm on, I've got time for that. You know, be it, um, there's a kid coming in at noon today uh, who was from uh, this l- tiny little school about you know 15 minutes north of town here in Vancouver. And when I went and spoke there, you know they were like, thank you for even coming to Vancouver because Vancouver isn't cool when you live in Portland. You know, It's across the river and it's just not cool. And that's just total bullshit anyway. But because I, I have friends who live over there, you know, because they can't afford our ever-changing, you know, fast-paced Portland. There's nothing wrong with Vancouver. So I go and I talk to these kids in Vancouver, and it's a little different than how I talk to these kids in, you know, in, in Portland. You know, they've got it kind of made, you know, in, in, the, in the just a little bit different over in Portland, and they kind of know it. And I'll warn them for that. But to go to Vancouver, I'll say, you guys got to get hungry, you know. And I just talk to them, just like because I come from, a, you know, I come from a small town. Well, this one kid, you know, he came up to me. He goes, you know, Aaron, I would love, I would love to come to your shop and see what you do. And I just said, okay. I'm on the road, a bunch coming up here, but you hit me up in the spring, and I'll have you by. And his name is Louis Contreras, and he's coming by. And I don't, I don't know the kid, but he came up to me, and I'm, I'm, you know, I just kind of, I always joke like, you're not an axe murderer, right? You know, whatever. <laughs> but we're gonna go have a sandwich. I mean, today I need to have some lunch, right. so he can come with me, and I'll show him the shop, walk him around, show him what I do, you know, show him a couple things, and then we'll go walk over, get a sandwich, walk back see you know my neighborhood and i'll load them up with some field notes and stickers and bullshit and i don't know what am i out you know i mean I'm, i still had to get a sandwich but i like the idea of making time for that stuff like i you know like what if i walked over to get a sandwich just by myself you know i'm, I'm still gonna do that anyway you know so i don't know i'm trying to be creative with my time i'm trying to make it available could I spend it, you know, making more things and more stuff and being smarter with all my stuff? Sure, I'm, I'm sure I could, but to what, to what goal? I don't, I don't need a lot more, you know. More money doesn't necessarily mean better, you know what I mean? Right. I've, right. I've, I've learned that one, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a weird way. I mean, of course we all need cash. Where you guys live, you need cash. Oh my God, <laughs> I was down there for a couple days. Who? Where do you live? Down? You live in Santa Monica. I live in the Pacific Palisades, which is one oh, town north of Santa the, Monica. On the mean streets of the Palisades, huh? Yeah. <laughs> how do you? How do you? God, be careful, man. <laughs> Watch your back over there. Listen, we were just, we were just in Newport, Huntington Beach, oh, and uh, for a couple days for doing an Orange County thing, and we went up all the way up to a thing called Don's Beachcomber in. I don't even remember where it was. It, my girl wanted to go to a tiki bar. But in the Uber, to go the, the 11 miles, even on the coast, it took, you know, 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it was just busy. Yeah. And, you know, I pointed to her. I said, no, you can see there's the, the hill there. That's that Palisades. I mean, I think, you know, I, I can't remember where, you know, Long Beach. And I had buddies who lived in Long Beach, you know. And uh, I could, I could kind of handle that. Long Beach, there were working people there. It was kind of gritty. It was, yes. it was totally polished. I really dug that. You know, I had buddies who lived there, so I would stay with those guys. Um, but, of course, I have buddies, you know, in uh, Eagle Rock and um, 
uh, Highland Hills and uh, Echo Park and that kind of hipster trail stuff. Right. You know? I got buddies in all kinds of who've lived all over those places, and that's all nice too. You know, um, it's just sort of not for me. You know, to go down there, it's very intense to me, and um, I love my little Portland. Um, and maybe it's a ten years ago thing when I, you know you didn't have it didn't take a lot to buy a little house. You know, that's that's all gone within right. the last three years. That's all that's all gone, and and it's it's a bummer. But you can still come here, get a good job, and get a house. Sure. But the idea of the roadies buying a house anymore, that's gone. And I, I hate to report it, and I hate to even talk about it, but it's just a weird thing to me because I love this town because a roadie could have, you know, a house. If that's making even, you know, if that's even making sense. Like, it wasn't just the, the guy who, you know, the, the hero of the band who got to own the, the shit. Right. You know, no, everyone had a little piece, and that's why I loved it here. Mm-hmm. You know? It scared me to be down... And SoCal, when I worked there, it scared me because, you know, in no uncertain terms, um, I just I had no path of how I was going to make it. You know what I mean? I had no path. There was just like, you know, just, just I mean, how do people get to buy some big house there? I mean, I, I still don't know, you know, because I have buddies who are successful by any stretch, however you want to, you know, term it. But they, they'll be renting the rest of their lives. Right. You know? And that's just, I, I couldn't handle it. I mean, if people are into that, there's nothing wrong with that. It just scared me. All right, so I have my theory on this. And you are totally right. It is an expensive freaking place to live, for sure. But I was listening to a piece, I think it was on Radio Lab, and they were featuring some other show, and I can't remember the name of that show, but they were talking about how this American spirit of, you know, if you work hard, you can make it. And then they started to do this study and it was determined that where you live is more of a factor of how successful you're going to be than anything else. When it comes to this basic measure of upward mobility, not only are we not unique, we're sort of toward the bottom of the pile when measured against similar countries. Wow. Are you sure? Yeah. And the crucial thing to remember is that even within the U.S., your chances of moving up varies incredibly from one place to another. There's a famous researcher named Roz Chetty at Stanford. And he showed that in some regions of the country, your chances of moving up are really good, the best in the world. Places like uh, San Jose, San Francisco, Seattle, Salt Lake City. I'm looking here, San Jose 12.9%, San Francisco 12.2%, DC 11 Seattle 10.9%, Salt Lake 108 But when you get to Columbus, 4.9. Atlanta, 4.5. Milwaukee, 4.5. Charlotte, 4.4. In Memphis, it's closer to 3%. Wait, so just so I understand what we're talking about, this is the percentage of people who are able to sort of move on up. Yeah. So it sounds like the bootstraps myth is pretty much not there, except if you're like born in San Jose or a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that just shows that uh, your likelihood of moving up is based on where you are even more than who you are. So people who are living in metropolitan cities where there was a lot of room for upward mobility, they tended to do better. Whereas people who lived in the inner cities where there wasn't a lot of economic prosperity going on, it made it a lot harder for them. So my theory is this, because we have friends and people we coach all over the world, and they're like, I don't want to come to L.A., it's just... I like my small market. And I say, that's totally cool. But here's the thing. Here's the wonderful thing about living in such an expensive place is you meet a lot of people who are really 
entrepreneurial, who are risk-taking, uh, and they want to build something. They want to build their dream, no matter what it is, whether it's in entertainment or any other industry. And so we get these chance encounters that are part of just the, the network that you build up. Now, that's very corporate speak, and I'm sure a lot of your fans are going to be like, what the hell is he talking about? But that's where I get to go and meet literally. I mean, I've had meetings now with billionaires sitting in the same room in my office, and I'm like, whoa, we're breathing the same air. We're still the same people. And I don't know if this would happen if I lived in that tiny little town. And so that helps to pay for some of the expenses that you incur by living out here. And real estate is the most expensive thing that's out here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't. Something to think ever, about. Uh, I can't say I've ever sat in a room with a billionaire. So, uh, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I, uh, I'm a thousandaire, man. That's all I'm concerned about. And, and <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just. I'm serious. If I'm in a room with those guys, I'm. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not concerned about who's, you know, who's got it or who doesn't have yeah. it. It was just a, such a fucking reminder down there of, that you'll never have it. You know, just a yeah. big reminder. Like, look at this big. How, how I don't know how these people got this thing right. wherever we were looking. Well, great. You know, um, uh, doctors, I don't even know, you know, real estate people or whatever. And, you know, I just, I don't know, you know, now here, you know, you know, in fact, I'm going to stop because I, it's just such a weird thing that like our little town is like, you know, it's changing a lot. It's changing. It's just, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, if I had to pick all the cities again, you know, why I picked Portland is because it was small and it was crusty and it was. I'm not going to say real. Everywhere is real, you know. No, here was just a little bit less of a pressure system. Yes, we didn't have light rails, or we didn't have this, or we didn't have that, or we didn't have the cooler, or we didn't have the culture, or whatever. But who gives a shit about any of that, you know? If you're sitting in traffic all day trying to get to it, that's just weird, right. you know. When I went to LA a couple of years uh, about in the fall, I did a talk, and 400 people RSVP'd. And I was like kind of terrified because that's a lot of people. And 200 showed up, which was still an incredible big show. But, f you know, I remember being told like that's just kind of a Los Angeles thing, man. People, you know, they get done with work and then they have to drive, you know, two hours to get somewhere. They're not going to go, you know. So even though they got their ticket or whatever it was, and I don't even think there was even – they were even really paying tickets. It was just get your seat, you know. Um which was just sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you're, you're across town and it's going to be a long way to get there. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm learning to like it more and more when I go down there. Yeah. You know, I'm learning to see, you know, when I was a kid and went up there at 27 or 28 years old and would go up there and, you know, had to pinch every single penny. You know, it was really tricky. I'd have to make decisions and say, I can't take this toll road. You know, mm. like I have to go, you know, whatever. And it's just like, man, I just remember having to check myself many, many times and say, I have no idea what it's like to deal with some rough shit. You know, yeah, I'm lucky. I had a good life growing up with a mom and a, you know, all these sorts of things, a good mom and a dad and structure and, you know, you know, some highs and some lows and I'm worried that what I have to sit in a little bit of traffic, man. Are you? I mean, I, you know, it, I don't know. This is a very interesting place. You know, very uh, fast, a little too fast for me. Yeah. You know? you know, a buddy of mine came out from Richmond, and he swore he'd never be in L.A. And we hung out, took him on a hike, went to eat at a couple of places, hang out a little bit, and showed him around town. Mm -hmm. And he fell in love. 
and now he's out here. He's working for me now. He moved out, uprooted mm. his family, moved out. So maybe next time you're in town, if you have the time, if you got nothing to do, and you got an afternoon to kill, we can hang out, and I can show you around. And and I, I love it here. I'm originally um, I lived up north in, in in San Jose, and I came down to go to school, mm-hmm. and it just slowly migrated west as my budget allowed. You know, yeah. that's how I did it. But you know, if you don't mind, I'd love to just tell you what I see in you that I think other people see, and maybe you can say, huh, or nah, I don't think so. Totally. I mean, right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll throw that out at you, you know, because I like me. I don't know. Yeah. What, what, what do you got? So here's what I think. I think um, coming from inside of you, this is this true, authentic person that there isn't another version of you. And we all kind of wear these different masks that we walk around with. And I think that small town accessible uh, underdog story is the thing that resonates because people see themselves in you you're the version of them that they hope to be in years and you're not so far away that they feel like they can't chase that dream where you have these big design wigs like michael beirut or paula share and they seem to be too far away from us and it's inaccessible you come out on stage you you wear your trucker cap your jean jacket you talk about not wearing pants you talk about your dog your mom and dad how old you are the town you live in and just being all kind of rough around the edges and that's what people relate to. They can see that. And then you do something that they hope they can do. You know, you're working on logos. You're working on cool projects for snowboarding, skateboarding, that kind of stuff. And that's an instant access to all these young kids that are coming in. And I saw in your book, uh, you did these sketches for, uh, I think, one for Santa Cruz Skateboards. And the other one was for uh, Santa Monica Airlines, for Nottis Copas. I had that exact same skateboard so that the entry point... It just feels so familiar, like you're one of us. I'm not saying me, but I'm just saying the young kid saying, God, he is he's the people's champion. Wow. That's I mean it's a hell of a God, I mean, what am I supposed to say to that? You know, like uh, no. <laughs> I'm supposed to say, well, don't we just stop and say thanks? You know, like I, I I remember, you know, when I when I put that those, you know, where I'm emulating Jim Phillips, you know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to re I'm basically copying his work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had to show that. Because how do you learn? How do you learn how lines work and colors and stuff work that's how i mean i'm so thankful i learned it through like you know wild ass skateboarding and stuff it just was so beautiful to look at and i mean i love to show that and then you can see my little versions of it you know as the years kind of you know go but you know it was kind of scary to show that because i've had kids come to me and say i own that deck you did that work and said no 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 you know i mean (laughs) i'm i'm just I'm just learning. I was 13 right. years old, you know. Well, I mean, that's really cool to hear, man. I would I would hope that people just, you know, see what I do and they dig it. You know, the thing is, is, you know, I went to enough heights. I saw the heights. You know, I saw them. I met people from them. It scared me, and I just pledged I'm not even interested you know, if that's the big leagues, I want nothing to do with it. And I will say, Michael Beirut is one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. I was kind of afraid to meet him because mm-hmm. I just know how big he is and this and that. But he is a Cleveland guy. You know, when you meet him, he's just, you know, he was, he wrote me one of the greatest letters about my dad when my dad died. Now, I don't know Michael Beirut. When I saw that coming, I was like, is there another Michael Beirut? You know, of course <laughs> it's him, you know. And when I got to meet him, I just got to say, thank you. That was such a nice letter. I mean, he wrote me a letter, you know, and wow. I, I, I am, I'm a fan, you know, and, and when I met Paula Shear, she was very warm and very down to earth. 
but very, you know, frenetic. She's got a lot of people working for her and stuff, and you felt that, you know, my two seconds with her to get a selfie or whatever the hell it was. Because, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And she at least, you know, she made – so, you know, there have been a couple, you know, where – and I don't, I'm not, I don't need to you know, air any dirty laundry. Some people I've come up to, you know, who were – not mean they just didn't have this don't give a shit they don't know what you do they don't know who i you know what i am or what i do they just you know i mean they're 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 busy and 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 that's fine you know i mean i i don't know you know it's just a weird thing well the people's champion holy shit yeah you know, what i what, what i what i <laughs> you know you can you can stay small with your jobs and your stuff and still make a living and we need to hear a little bit more of that because that's not really what the peck and order sort of dictates. You know, you got to get to the big job and the big thing. And I just remember being in the one job I had where they were like, you know, hierarchies and I've only had one job. You know, and it might have just been mutual only to, uh, you know, specific only to that, that environment or that group of people. But, you know, who was leaving at five every day? Well, it was your, you know, the junior designers were leaving at five. I was still there late at night, you know, and the guy above me, he was there even later. And that's just, you know, that's kind of how people work. And that's, you know, their working styles are different. And there's nothing really wrong with any of that. That's how, you know, if, I, if, you, if you put it another way, it's like, that's how someone gets ahead. But I was still, you know, I was there late, late, late. And I just remember thinking like, like, I'm not getting any more salary thinking that I'm just doing a good job, you know, being a good little worker. Why would I put this time into making my own life and own brand and my own little go at this stuff? And that's where I really shifted gears. Like, I, st I have the energy. I still have the energy to work late, you know? But instead of doing it for someone else who basically reaps a bigger reward, and that's called business. That's called business. You know, um, you know I remember I made a really good salary. And when I put my month in to leave... Suddenly they found 30 or 40 more, more grand to give me, you know, to like entice me. And I was like, well, where was that 40 grand when I was working late the last bunch of, you know, whatever, you know, here's the deal. And it's not just the place I work for. Places are going to pay you just what they can. And that's called business. But when I got free and I got out of that stuff, I could stack all the little shit. And, you know, the sneak attack was this. I was doing it with my buddies. I was doing it in, on my schedule, on our hours. We were inventing our own little things. No one told me that, you know. And, you know, it was just a couple guys who pulled me aside back in about 2003 or two and said, hey, you can do this out of your house, you know. You know, you'll need to be in here. And I just was like, what are you talking about? I'm doing what everyone's told me you're supposed to do. You get the job, you advance, you do this, you do that, you know, you do this. So, you know, a lot of what I've tried to do with my life, you know, or my, my output it's reactions to things that just either freak me out or whatever. And and this whole everyman, listen, is there, you know, I mean, you have to be, it's nice that you say that stuff, Chris. I appreciate it. But, you know, I also understand that I'm lucky. You know, there's privileges there. There's things that I, you know, better never take for granted. You know, I have, I have like a money manager, you know, <laughs> I have like, I have an accountant. I have, a, a you know, people that help me with this stuff because I don't know what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> And I mean, if you know, is it more authentic to just be broke all the time? Hell no! I saved all my money, you know. Right. I saved it because I didn't want to be in a position where I was freaked out that I couldn't afford shit, you know. But that doesn't mean once you get to that level, 
then you go piss it away in a bunch of weird stuff. You can't do that. You got to keep that frugal mindset and, you know, slow and steady wins the race, whatever the hell that means. I just didn't, you know, I remember having zero in my bank account. You know, I remember having it, you know, and it scared me. And, and I remember also just being kind of okay with it. You know, like, you know, my mom and dad kind of set me up for that, you know, like it's okay to, to, to have to be creative and be kind of hungry, you know, and, and, and then the first time, like, you know, my buddies I work with, I remember my one buddy, you know, John saying, you got to get five grand in the bank. You get five grand in the bank. That means you can do, and I'd say, oh, I could fly home anytime I wanted. I could quit my job and have two months of, of like, you know, like, you know, rent and stuff and things that covered. You know what I mean? And the first time I got that five grand in the bank, that was like my first bit of padding. When I got to 10 grand, you know, then you've got four months or whatever. When it got to a hundred grand, I'm not saying that to be braggy, but you know, then I could like help people. That's when I paid everything off. Yeah. You know, I got myself completely free of debt. How like, old were you? Uh, I would have been oh, shit, 2011, 10, uh, about 35, 35, you know, 36. And, but it started a little bit before that. Like basically, I got my first job out of college, uh, and that was in, you know, in San Juan Capistrano. Went down, lived in Laguna Niguel, lots of money, you know, sixteen, seventeen hundred bucks for a little one-bedroom apartment. It was fine. It was really clean and nice and everything in this, like, gated community kind of thing, but creepy as shit, you know, and, but safe and everything. And, you know, like when I was just down there this last week, a kid said, I read in one of your interviews that you lived on the edge of Aliso Viejo. And I said, well, yeah. And he said, he looked at me like puzzled. He said, don't you know how nice it is there? And I went, no, I don't. You know, I just picked something that looked safe and clean and easy to get to, you know, whatever it was. Well, I was broke down there. And I went into the hole down there. And I had a job where I was making 50 grand a year. And I wasn't spending that shit on, you know, like, what do I even spend money on? It's like records going to the movies i wasn't taking big surf trips or snowboard trips or i don't surf i don't even stand i don't even like standing in a bathtub <laughs> but you know like my, my, my buddies around me were taking these big trips and shit you know okay i had nothing left over at the end of it yeah. i had nothing at the end of the month i had nothing left over when i got to portland i made a little bit more 62 grand my rent went in half i started to chip away at the first big thing, which was a credit card. Mm-hmm. You know, I had built that credit card up down there. It was a, a, a tiny little 10 grand. But that 10 grand was such a mountain because I could only send in 250 a month, you know, whatever's left over. Well, when I got to Portland, I could start sending in 250, 500, 750. I have a shitty little screen grab somewhere that shows the zero account balance. I could not wait for that thing to post. To have chipped that was the that's when I got free. And what that means is like that was the first time I accomplished paying off a bit of debt. And that was around two thousand two or three. Shortly after that I saved up a bunch of money and bought a house. When I bought the house, um I thought I'd pay on that thing the rest of my life. I was just excited to even get the loan. Um first thing I, I paid off was the mortgage insurance. Like, why are we paying on this weird little, well, this is the, you know, whatever it was. There was some, some HELOC, they called it, I remember. I paid that off. You know, it was like 35, 40 grand. I just paid it off. With all, I, you know, I was getting ahead now. 
I was working in my basement on my own for things. Shit was starting to add up. Before I knew it, I paid off my school loan. Paid off the house. Paid off the house. And I love to talk about this because that, that is not what they told me. Right. That would happen. That's, you just you settle in. You take it on the chin. This is the game. The bank makes this much. Like when I paid my house off, I wasn't paying the bank 20 grand a year anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and guess where that went? I started going into my pocket. You know, and I mean, I was still earning the way I was earning. I was still f- hungry the way I was hungry. Now, is that the everyman? No, that's not the everyman. And I'm trying to be delicate. You know, they might not see that opportunity or even have that opportunity. That's that's so. You know, I appreciate what you said, and it's a long-winded way to answer this, but it's like, you know, I know I've been lucky. It didn't just come to me. I worked my ass off. You know, I worked my I worked my 30s away. But is there anything wrong with that? You know, like I worked my 30s away. I worked. I loved it. I was clean. I was inside. I was on cool computers. There's a lot of ways to to look at it in the right light. But was I out? You know, traveling the world. Actually, I was. You know, in some respects. You know, <laughs> so you know, in the last five years to go and share this little shitty story with some kid. And then they, they'll say things to me like, well, when do you find time to design? I'll say, wait. And I jump out of my PDF and I go open up my little folder and say, this is the shit I've made just since January. And you watch his eyes go, what? You know, there's 60 files in there. Like, yeah. you know, I'm always working. That becomes a sickness. You know, that becomes a sickness. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not. Okay. Here, you know, here's like one of the ways I love to talk about it on the road is like when I put insurance on my, my tour van before I left put insurance on my tour van. I go into my insurance agent, you know, and he's like, well, what, what do you do? What is it that you do? You know, and he, you know, the draft does it. What is this thing? And I explain, I showed him the book and he, wow, that's cool. You got to make a book like that insurance agent. He doesn't take his work home with them at night. And he just doesn't, you know, you don't go and do insurance quotes after six o'clock. What I've always loved about my job, if I want to get ahead, I would work six to two in the morning. And, and, and basically find six days in a five-day work week. You know, now somewhere there you got to sleep and, you know, wash yourself and, you know, have a meal and all the basic shit, you know, sure. But what a, what a privilege to just be that kind of creative thinker and, 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 and act on that stuff. And that's basically what my 30s were like. You yeah. know, so now to go tell a kid that and say, okay, things are fast. You're in the hole for a big old pile. Well, so was I. Here's how I did it. Now, you know, the little thing you're not really talking about is, you know, uh, you, you got to work your ass off. <laughs> you know, it's not just going to happen. But, you know, I don't know. I right. love telling kids that shit. So I got a question for you here. Okay. You kind of growing up with Midwestern values, working class. Did your parents understand your desire to become a graphic designer? Was that part of the lexicon, the vocabulary of? what they thought you could do or should do? Well, I think they saw me, you know, as you know, I was ambitious. I was, I've been drawing my whole life, you know. I've been someone to make my own little products back when I was, you know, 17 or 18 years old. I'd make, I remember the first time I got a little hat, you know, a little beanie with an embroidery on it. It was called the Drap Lid. How was that for some copywriting, huh? <laughs> the Drap Lid. And me and my buddy Brian, we made this little fake company. I mean, and we sold them to buddies. I think we had 36. We couldn't afford anything past that. It was 36 times 6 bucks, you know, a couple hundred bucks. 
And uh, that little weird entrepreneur. See, that's what skateboarding taught me. You can go make your own brand and own stuff. That's what snowboarding showed me. You know, you know, some jock and when you know whatever. You know, should I say? Oh, I don't. No offense to jocks. No, no, no. Some offense to the jocks. You know, fuck those. Go ahead, guys. lay into them. You know, fuck them. Well, I won. There's there's a little stock report for you. I won because I remember some of those turds. It's not like you can go make your football team logo. Maybe you could, but skateboarding in that world, you could pick all the bands you loved. You could have a drug problem. You could have weird hair. The girls were cooler. You know what I mean? I'm so thankful for all that shit. And then when you bring it into this like kind of entrepreneurial thing, you know, my mom and dad they saw that in me. You know, they couldn't really bankroll any of that stuff. You know, but um, they're very supportive. You know, like when I got out of high school at 17. You know, a little young, like my mom and dad were lucky to provide me with, you know, two years of community college in my little shit town of Traverse City, Michigan. Like, I was lucky to even go to community college. And I was going to go right out west with all my buddies to be a snowboarder. But I knew inherently that I was, they were like, they, I was lucky to have that, that they were going to be able to provide that for me. And it was going to happen. And, and I had to take advantage of it. You know, that's not something you really pass up on in my family, you know. So I did that. And what I got was I got their blessing. And that was, you know, that was enough for me. I wanted to be in good graces with them, you know. Um, so, you know, when things started to take off and I would explain, you know, to my mom and dad, like, you know, you know where things got, you know, the, I mean, of course, they were very supportive and, you know, obviously proud of me to say, yeah, mom, you know, I'm going to pay off my house. Because right after that, it doubled back to where it was like applied to them to say, okay, you know. Do not go out and buy that TV. I'll get it for you the next time I'm home. Or what do you guys need right now? Oh, we need carpet. This happened. We need carpet. I've got it. So in a lot of ways, you know, it sounds a little weird, but I kind of retired my mom and dad, you know, and just took it easy. I had them covered, you know. And, I mean, it's been about three and a half years since we lost dad. But, you know, I watch over my mom, you know, and and make sure that she's doesn't have shit to worry about. I've got her covered. You know, so that's something I'm really proud of, you know, and um, and that goes back to that. Yeah, that good relationship. And and I just remember, you know, I had everything I needed when I was a kid. Did I have stacks of skateboard decks? No, I, I had a pizza job to take care of that. You know, but we had everything else. We had, you know, Legos and love and, you know, sort of this, um, um, you know, my dad was a creative. My mom and dad were creative, you know how we would solve things or, you know, the projects my dad was working on or the, the, the cool baskets my mom would weave growing up. I was just around all that stuff. You know, my dad was like a big woodworker, you know, and that's where a lot of my junking instincts come from. My dad would go find dead things, strip all the paint off, and to this day my parents have beautiful Victorian antiques, you know. So I was raised around this quality of like, you know, well, if you can't, you know, if, Let's go find something because, you know, within our budget and let's make it, you know, make it new again. But also, if we can't solve it, let's just solve, let's build it. Let's design it and build it. Come on. You know, like one of the, in my, I'm at odds because in my, my extra room at my house, I have a wall of CDs. I don't know what to do with these CDs, you know, like I don't really use them anymore. It's, you know what, I don't know, 1992, 1990 through about. 2003 or something the last cd i bought before i went all vinyl right well you know you've got all this stuff and it's this big wall but it's not the cds 
it's the fucking shelf my dad and I made. I don't want to get rid of that thing. My dad and I, we built that thing together, you know, fighting about, you're supposed to do the pilot hole this way, Aaron. You know, you don't, you know, <laughs> he taught me how to build shit and that, you know, but more importantly, it's, you know, the idea of like, he taught me how to be, you know, sort of aggressive, staying hungry and inquisitive, you know, and, you know, to be aggressive with that, you know, instead of like just bellyache and I can't do it myself, just try it first if you can nail it cool you know like i've built shelves around my house that were beautiful you know and that's not with like that's not with like nice table saws and shit that's with me like you know cobbling shit together and having one sketchy little bandsaw but my dad showed me how you you know you you get the little uh, c clamps and you clamp down your t square and then you use that as your guide and suddenly that little shitty table saw you know my little bandsaw or whatever you know a uh, little what jigsaw sorry jigsaw can become this precision instrument. You know, my dad showed me how to do this. Heyo, John Roth here from the future. I'm here to tell you guys about the pro membership. A lot of you have been asking about how you can engage with us and where you can go to meet like-minded individuals. Well, I'm here to tell you how. For $75 a month with the pro membership, you can join Chris Doe's collective of creative entrepreneurs, which includes everyone from designers to strategists to writers and more from all over the world. Also included is over 40 hours of exclusive videos on a variety of topics, from the business of design to project management, and access to two pro calls a month, where you can have your questions answered by Chris live. All that and more in your pro membership for just $75 a month. Not afraid of commitment? Sign up for a year and save $150. The Pro Membership, exclusively in the online store. Go to thefuture.com slash shop for more. Let me ask you this question. You built up an incredible personal brand, whether it was conscientious or not. I'm just curious now if your mom understands what you do because you had mentioned that you're not always doing client work anymore. You're dealing with customer service stuff. You're sending out posters. You're coordinating new talks that you're doing or touring. Does she understand that at all? Oh, yeah. She does. Oh, yeah. And she gets, you know, I, I bring her out to shows. I'll fly her out to things. My mom clearly understands. And I'll explain to her, like, here's a T-shirt company. I just dangled a hook and said, we'll give you ten grand for a number of T-shirts. But let's say I make one T-shirt for myself and sell five grand worth. Why wouldn't I just do that for myself? You know what I mean? Because if they're going to give you 10 grand, that means they're going to go sell 150 grand worth or whatever the deal is. Right. And to explain to my mom, well, no, I mean, she just looks at me and just shakes her head. She's like, well, you are very lucky to be there. Just be a good citizen, you know, make good work, you know, understand that, you know, that other people aren't in that position to say, I'm going to turn this job down. Well, that comes with confidence. You know, that comes with years of being able to sell stuff. Some things fall very flat, but I'm getting better and better at being able to say, like, you know, maybe I'm not the right guy for this job, knowing, like, basically, I'm just a hired gun. You know, can I make my own stuff? Yeah, I'm going to make my own shit. Because I was doing it for years and never selling any of it. And now I'm trying to do it and just make it enjoyable. I and mean, really, the rule is whatever I make, I have to use, you know? Um, so I had all these funny little things. That comes from not uh, that comes all these all this merch doesn't come from a place of like trying to think through like how do I make shitty little promo items you know like sort of a, a appealing no I needed things to open a letter envelope 
you know i needed those things and i made my own and yes it says envelope eviscerator or some bullshit <laughs> out there, but the idea is it's funny and it's it's functional like you can use it there's nothing wrong with that you know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that and and now you know we sell you know my, my girl does all the shipping i didn't hire anyone i mean i hired her but it's not like i have a staff of people i have people all the time saying my mom you know we'll, we'll talk this through and she'll say you work too much is there something you can do to be in there less and i just kind of say but mom this is what i want to do i like being in here fumbling around all the recycling and um, figuring out how to make things smarter in a space you know i mean how I, I mean, if we brought in more people and they're staring at me, you know, that's just kind of weird. What happens if you have a slow day and it's like, I just send everyone home? Like, I was, I'm, I'd never be comfortable with that, you know? Like, when I have a slow day, well, that's when I find other things to do, you know? Or just sit and play my guitar, <laughs> you know? Like, this is a clubhouse, way more than it is some kind of business. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, this it's, summer, I'm trying to build a big uh, 22 by 33 like what they call sort of an accessory structure in my backyard. And that's going to be, you know, it's a pretty substantial 750 square foot, um, 10 foot high. Up above is another 750 square foot, you know, um, um, and upstairs. And in that upstairs, we're going to put a couple of dormers in there because the way the angle of the roof works, we're going to put a couple of dormers. And my mom is going to have her little widow's nest. Well, I hate the word widow. You know, it's just such a weird thing. Um, but my mom's going to have her little zone, you know, and then she'll have her own shower and shitter and a little room that's all hers comfortable. And when she comes out with us now, she can go out there and hide for a couple days, you know, because my sister's here in town with her little boy. So my mom comes out and does the grandma, the grandma stuff. Um, the little boy is seven. His name is Oliver. That's the light of our lives, my little nephew. Right. So mom comes out. We, I bring her out here, you know, every two, three months for seven, eight, nine days. And the idea that she could come out and say, come out and spend the summer with us. You know, come out and spend the winter with us. You have a place to live. I'll be downstairs working, you know, in my studio. Um, and then she'll be upstairs, you know, with piles and, you know, I mean, it's got walls and doors and shit. But everywhere else upstairs is just going to be all my storage of hats and goodies and things and stuff. And that'll be in my backyard. So we are currently doing all the permits and things and estimates for all that shit right now. You know, you're mentioning your mom saying, maybe take it easy, Aaron. I have a story to relate to. It's a little different. Tell me. Um, I was sharing a story with my dad and telling him that there was a potential somewhere down the line, like very far down the line, because I was just in early talks with somebody about potentially buying the company. And they'd give me a large sum of money and I'd go to work and the salary was incredible. And he's like, you know, just please just take that deal. I worry about you. You work so hard. Yeah, and just parents are going to worry about you and they don't always understand it. I don't know how else to operate, honestly, and this isn't work for me. Just like right. I hear how you're talking about it, you know. I'll be up to two in the morning doing something because I just felt compelled and I couldn't sleep. I want to yeah, make yeah. it. I want to get it out of my system. Yeah. So God bless our parents, you know, but at the same token, there's this merger between work and play for us that's very blurry that maybe their generation that wasn't even a concept or they weren't afforded that luxury well i mean i mean right you know my one generation before my before my dad they were immigrants you know coming over and and ha they had their name changed from Dra from you know polish drapawa to draplin like it was like they had to change it to sound less ethnic you know whatever in detroit 
that's years and years ago, you know. And then you see what my dad, my dad being, you know, this this person with opportunities, you know, who you know didn't have a lot of extra, you know, a lot of extra, you know, scratch as a kid, but still was able to save and buy. You know, like nice cars and stuff. Like their generation, my mom, you know, my grandmother and grand, they just didn't have any of that. You know, so we're seeing these tendrils. You know, of of where that affected your mom and dad and affected my mom and dad, and they, you know, yes, a sure bet. I mean, but it's you know, it's a little different than when they were kids. You know, and I, you know, I, I think it's where you know, I, I, you know, my mom's always been a great ear for me to go and say, okay. I'm going to make this decision to go back to college. It's going to cost this much. I got a scholarship that makes it a little bit easier. This, this, and this. And we'd sit and just you know weigh it out. We just kind of weigh these things out, you know. And yet, stop me along the way and say, I mean, do you understand how lucky you are to even be in this zone, you know? And it was like, well, right, you know. So you know, I had a good support system with that stuff. You know, I understand your dad saying that. You know, I mean. The first time I realized I was making more than my dad made a year, it changed everything in me because my dad always like, we, I I didn't know we didn't have a lot. We just did a lot with what we had, you know what I mean? We just they were able to do a lot with it. And when I when I when, when we did the math, I remember one day you know the time I sat my dad down, I said, you know, listen, I say this reluctantly, but I also say it in a weird little kind of proud way. Dad, I'm gonna make over 200 grand this year, and he just looked at me like, "Are you shitting me?" Aaron, I never, I never even surpassed 60 grand. And I said, "I said, right. what this means is I'm gonna pay this off and this off, and I'm gonna be able to take care of you guys." And we just kind of high five, you know, like, I just, I can't believe it either, because the deal is, if you take a zero off that, I only had 20 to work with. They taught me how to make that 20 work, you know, mm-hmm. through budgeting and, you know, they they taught me. So these last bunch of years where things have added up, and I went and hustled for it, you know. It's been really hard to pay big taxes, you know. It's been, you know, I have to scale things back, you know. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing a lot of, one second. Like, I'm not doing a lot of new client work. Even though it's, it's my name or whatever you want to call it gets a little bigger, people are coming after me, and I'll stop them and say, you guys... I'm working on a record right now for my buddy's heavy metal band. There's not a penny to be made, and they are putting me through it, and I love it. So I'm just not the right guy, you know, because Field Notes has taken off to where it's at, and the the speaking and the merch and the merch sales and the book was did really really well, and these are all it's all shit that wasn't supposed to happen, you know. Yeah. And then, like, I have to be kind of careful. I don't want to go and take on way, 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 way more, you know, because there won't be any time left. So I, I, there's, there is a balance to be struck. But I can appreciate your dad saying that, you know. Yeah. I mean, do you, you take care of your dad? I do. Well, he's taken care of already. He's been retired for many, many years. So yeah. it's yeah. all it's all worked out. And what did what, you, your dad do growing up? You know, we are first-generation immigrants from Vietnam. And so he, when we came to this country, he didn't speak the language, he didn't understand the culture. So the very first thing that he did was bus tables. Really? And I remember him telling us a story. And I said, Dad, you're a waiter? And he's like, no, I wasn't a waiter. I, I didn't even speak the language. And then eventually I was bartending, and they saw that I could make some drinks. And so eventually he wound up working at a gigantic semiconductor company called Applied Materials in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. So he went all the way from being a guy who bus tables to being an engineer uh, working on some super complicated stuff. 
So that's what he wound up doing. And my mom wound up working for IBM doing designing drafting things. So they're both in the kind of tech space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man, wow, from Vietnam, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So some of the things that I'm doing, that's why I asked you this question about did your parents understand what you did and did they encourage it? Because there's a lot of graphic designers out there, people who want to pursue, I don't, I'm not going to say art, but graphic design. And it seems just as might as well be fine art. It might as well be ceramics or something like that. Sure, sure, sure. I understand. It's a tough saying, thing yeah. to overcome, and luckily they've they come on board. Like when when you become successful, it's hard to argue against that, right? And well, I mean, like, what if my mom and dad, and I have buddies here in town, heard their mom and dad say, "What do you mean? You know, we want you to be a doctor or a dentist." You know, and I know those pressure systems. Like, you know, oh, man, we watch all these cooking shows. Their parents are super hard on them. You know, and it comes from like, like they're always talking, they're always breaking down. They're always saying, like, I disappointed my mom and dad when I became a cook. But now when they see me with my own restaurant, like there's like some patterns you see there, you know, and my mom and dad wanted me to be this. I understand why, because those are paths to security. You know, I don't think I don't think that's only mutual to, you know, this sort of kind of people or something, whatever. You know, I remember my mom and dad having one foot in both, you know. Aaron, you are going to have to make a living. I, m- I remember them, you know, my dad explained that to me the first time I broke my skateboard. You know, like, these, we can't go pay 65 more bucks, you know, every two weeks. Um, you're going to have to have a pizza job. And that was my first job, you know, and it was 13 years old. But it was this weird thing where it was like, I know other kids, their mom and dad, just they just go grab it for them. And we did, I, my dad just explained it to me. This is how it's going to be. I remember when I started to snowboard, him explaining to me, like, first of all, this is rich people stuff. Okay? So you understand? <laughs> like going to a resort. Like, who goes to a fucking resort? You know, he's right. like, but we did when we were growing up. We, were, we, we saved our money and we would go out to some place. Do you, you think we want to live in Vail? We never could. But we'd go for a week and that was like this luxury for us and we would go. But here's how you are going to do it. You know, and explain to me. But there would be the same push to say, go out and pursue these things, but you have got to be... See, that's why I loved about graphic design, because it was one foot in the fine art, one foot in the pragmatic, you know? Yeah. And you know, I, mean, I have to make a living, you know? You have to make a living. But yet, it doesn't feel like something that was like, you know, the hook was dangled and it's just a good, solid job, job, job. Listen, I had guys dangle big jobs in front of me, branding jobs and stuff. And then, you know, like these headhunters, and she's like, do you understand? You were going to make $115,000 a year with a possible $20,000 bonus, Aaron. And I said, well, I made two hundred and forty grand last year. <laughs> this was like, you know, she was like, what? Like she's discounted, just discounted it. You know, like you, I met you. you met, and I said, you'd never know this. I did, you know, some jobs were 100 bucks, some jobs were 10 grand. That shit starts to add up, you know? And I did, like, well, there's a one year, I did 57 logos. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to understand, 47 of those are for your buddies, you know, or whatever. Or, like, someone with 1000 bucks or 1500 bucks, but that's still 1500 bucks, you know? Right. And, you know, I did a job for three grand probably about two months ago, and I remember thinking, well, 
that I don't have to be. I'll, I'll quit bitching about having all that nice cable that we have. Right, <laughs> right. Know, I hate paying the three hundred a month or two hundred forty-five a month or whatever. But man, we have good internet, good cable, and Lee can watch all of her HBOs and shit. I, I rarely watch those ones. I, I'm more, you know, I like Deadliest Catch. <laughs> That's what I'm hooked on, you know. But uh, 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 you know, like in that moment, I got a call on a Friday for three grand. And they want something done by Monday ish. You know, a Saturday morning. I paid for a premium cable for a couple years. That's still how my mind mm. works with this stuff. And that comes from my dad. You know, okay, you you know, my, I remember my first summer out of school, high school, and all the kids were going to all the festivals in Detroit and Chicago and, you know, going down traveling. And he was like, you're going to have to go to some of these things. And he said, but there's going to be some weekends where you're not allowed to go. But, you know, that's okay because you're setting yourself up for this, you know. You know, some kids are going to be able to go to all of that shit, you know, because I, I would go up to Alaska and make money. And, uh, you know, I'd be bummed when I would hear my friends having these awesome summers down in, you know, the, the West or, you know, in the Midwest or, or New York City or whatever it was. And here I was in Alaska and I was missing the point. I was in a beautiful place. Yes, I was working all day, but I was in a beautiful place. I still did that for myself. You know, that's how I kind of, you know paid for my first computer and shit my mom and dad couldn't get me a computer you know so i don't know i i appreciate like it's really cool but there's a there's a there's a curve you gotta you know you gotta walk your dad through that shit your mom through that too you know like this is this isn't the tech space it is in a, in a couple other ways and i mean i i know you're ambitious i was impressed by how many things you know i tried to listen to that thing where you were talking about pricing man that oh, thing's yeah. powerful holy shit that goes deep you know my my first rule of thumb and we can we can you know you know is just let them throw out the price yeah. <laughs> if nike calls it's always going to be three times more than my scientific whatever angle of the dangle divided by the coefficient of the hop by <laughs> how many hours i work <laughs> i'll fuck it all up man i'll fuck it up. just let them say something like what's your budget on this and they say oh it's this and you kind of what you know you got to keep your cool but i i, I appreciate you putting that because i mean I have a lot of kids will come to me and they'll say hey uh you'll tell you just told us this 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 and this tell us how you how you know how do you charge for work and i said man it's all over the place life is about compromise you have to compromise sometimes there's nothing wrong with it you know like i love when people do this whole like oh my god the client called me at this day and i have to work until this time and it was like so what you're not you're inside <laughs> you're inside like you're not you're not putting pylons out on a on a you know on a on a highway or something you are inside you are clean what you have to work a little late you make money you are insured like i you know what am i even talking about <laughs> i've had a hell of a run i've tried to honor my mom and dad you know take care of them be creative doing it, you know, now to the point where my mom, you know, in some ways relies on what I do, you know, and I just told her, you don't have to worry about that. I'm going to make this part of my, my existence to make sure that you are okay, you know, and if that means I'm working in here on Saturdays and Sundays, whatever, no sweat, you know, no sweat. So the, I want to talk a little business. Now, I don't want to get into the granular details unless you want to go there, but I'm curious, the, the DDC, like, can you break down the different ways that you sustain yourself? Like, say, if you're going to do $200,000, I know you're going to do more than that. Where does it all come from? What are all the different, like in business marketing speak, what do the funnels look like? Ooh, the funnels. Well, let yeah. me tell you this much, Chris. I, I sleep until about 11, 11 a.m., and I get up, I cash a couple checks, then I have lunch. I take a nap from about 1 to 4. 
cash up some more checks from four to five, and then I'm at the end of the day. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? If you were to go and put it into percentages, yeah, you know, you know, merch now is about a half. Wow, of what I'm doing, and that's just selling funny little things, okay. posters, trinkets, goodies, somewhere there. You know, it's kind of like if you take if you take your you take your fingers on your hand, mm -hmm. and you you know, and you take two fingers as merch, one finger is field notes, one finger is going out on the road and talking about all this shit, and then that final little shitty little pinky nub is client work. You know, now it used to be, four, you know, eighty percent was client work, and I do sprinkle in some merch, but it's turned into this business. You know, so then it becomes these things like, you know, a couple years ago when I started getting into territory where my guy would say, do you know what you owe now? And I would just it would just terrify me. He said, it's great to earn. You know, you're going to make your mom and dad proud telling them this stuff. Yeah. But you're in a, you're in a tax bracket where you are working all year long and paying half of it back. Yep. Like you didn't get your you didn't get your time back. But but that's a weird thing to you know, he's doing it from a different tactical perspective. Like, I'm like, but I got to be in there. I like working on this shit. It doesn't feel like work to me, blah, blah, blah. He'll just kind of say things to like, what's the part that takes your most time? And I'll say client work. You know, client work, of course. He'll say, okay, less of that, buddy. If this stuff, if you're doing, you know, if you're enjoying making merch and selling it and promoting it, and yes, like I have a new website that we're real close to, you know, launch with a proper kind of square space, you know-esque, uh, Spotify system, and I'm terrified because we do very well right now with shitty PayPal links, and I, I just do not open the site because not only are you going to buy a bunch <laughs> of shit, but you're going to be like, this animal sells that much with this stuff. I don't, I don't really know how. But if we were to get <laughs> smarter, and we're getting very close, yeah, I'm terrified because if we went 1.25 more, I have to hire someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we went. Like we have, we have a monster here. Lee comes in and she'll do twenty orders every, you know, every two days. It's great. Twenty-five orders on a Friday. Great. If it went to fifty orders and we doubled all this stuff on a Friday, I'm in trouble. That means either I have to help get those things out the door, or I have to hire a young kid. And I know it's not a bad spot to be in, but you have to understand I have actively kept those things small as a bit of a, of a, you know. I, I don't need more. You know what I mean? It's still adding up. I'm still saving money. It's it's when my guy scared me and said, you know, Aaron, you're going for the gold because you come from a place where there was no gold to be had. You're going for the gold, but you have to be careful. Bronze might be just enough. And he was right. Yeah. It's, not even, it's not even on the spectrum. You know, it's more like, I don't give a shit who, like, see, that's like the bigger metaphor of my whole life. I mean, in every kind of situation. You know, I'm I'm looking at your thing right now. I know you got an Emmy or something. Now that's amazing. But like I've never won an award because I've never tried for an award, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Now maybe mm -hmm. someone put your name in there. I don't know. It's the idea that a buddy came to me about seven years ago and said, you know, you can submit your album designs to the Grammys. What are you talking about? Aren't you nominated? And it was like, no, you submit them. And of course people win that shit because no one even knows you can submit. You know, and it just freaked me out. I thought there was some big, grand, palatial, you know, committee that allows you to eke your way in there. You know, like I've never been interested in, you know, I don't even know what I even do with the award. You know, like it's a paperweight. You know, I'd rather have some old junk laying around. So this idea of like, 
actively staying small is something mm-hmm. I'm very curious about because, you know, every time I go home, and this is going to sound weird, but every time I go home to Michigan and I see either a buddy struggling or a, a colleague or a family member or something, and I come back out here with the opportunities that I've been presented in some respects, it's hard to say no to that shit, you know? Yeah. Because what? I'm, I'm worried about some sort of balance in my life. You can't take a bag of balance to the bank. You can't. You know, you can get ahead by getting the fuck ahead, you know, and and I had to do that. And, you know, I go home and it's like I will never bellyache about being too busy because it's allowed me to take care of a lot of people around me, you know, or whatever it is or or just get myself ahead, you know. And, you know, this morning before I was in here, I was in here at eight o'clock, you know, getting all this stuff set up. But more importantly, I was working on a bandana. I'm finally going to make a bandana. That's If that's at <laughs> of my list, that I'm just trying to figure out stupid graphics for a stupid bandana, then something's happening, you know? And and the idea is, you know, like my girlfriend was like, well, you could sell those for 20 bucks a piece. You probably could because my name or some other shit. No, they're going to be eight, you know, $7.99. I don't... I get them for a couple bucks. I make my money. Like, I keep it small. You know what I mean? Because like, I don't like the idea of like, no, this is the wrong word, trumping shit up. You know, you know? <laughs> Are we allowed to say on your podcast that he is the worst fucking human being in all of history? Are we allowed to say that? I think you just said it, so yes. Okay, I'm just, you just, just, I'm just doing a mic check right now. God, that's, he is the, well... Like, you know, how things are trumped up because, like, our field notes, they are $9.95. I'm so proud of that. Everywhere. Right next to $500 pairs of jeans. Now, in that context, they could probably be 50 bucks for the three-pack. They're made in America. They have lots of details. They're fun. They're whatever. Nice packaging and shit. They could probably be 50 next to a $500 pairs of jeans. But I don't want to do that, you know? And it's the same way when I price my merch. I want a kid to be able to come up to and go, I need a handkerchief to blow my nose or some other nefarious thing. And... <laughs> Eight bucks, man. And he throws in shipping. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'd rather be known for than some sort of, like, you know, trying to capitalize on every little whatever. Like, somewhere you just got to throw some. I want, see, cause I, where, I, where I get that is from my dad. My dad would, you know, always had time for everybody. He always had a joke for everybody. His clients, the people he worked with, he always had a freebie for them of some sort. He always cut someone a deal. And it goes a long way. It's an old way of doing business. And I'm trying to apply that to, you know, my little life. And that means sometimes you do jobs for no money. You know, mm-hmm. there's no money. I don't, I don't, the, the, the paycheck isn't in the form of 500 bucks or 10 grand. The paycheck is in the, in the, in the form of someone seeing something that we made that was cool. <clears throat> and then we monetize that. And they come to me and say, we liked what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, can we, can we buy a piece of that? And that's when... You know, it's like it's weird how you manifest these things or options for people to pick from. You know, that's how, I mean, that's how I did it with logos. People didn't know they were looking at things that made for, you know, if you called me and said, I'm Chris Dew, I'm starting a new company. I said, great, who's doing your logo? And you hire me to do it 15 years ago. That's what I showed, you know? Yeah. And you could be small and I could be small. It's until someone sees it and sees it applied to their bigger thing. I manifested a life in graphic design that way. Yeah. You know, it's like kind of, it's kind of weird. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, to get back, and I know I'm rambling here. I'm rambling, but. Well, I want to ask you about field notes. Yeah, ask me. Because before I even knew about you, I knew about field notes, which was, so it's just remarkable that I was like, Aaron Droplin, field notes? They're this, okay. So tell me about your, your business 
venture here because I'm just in awe that you're a graphic designer and you're in the manufacturing space. Essentially, you're a product designer. You're you're a company. You're a brand. If 50% of your income comes from merch and then, I don't know, maybe another 20% comes from field notes, that's incredible because it's about sharing your vision with the world and you've got passive income and you're now a business. And so I have a lot of questions and I was scanning the book uh, to try and find more information, but maybe you can expand on the relationship. What is the business structure like? How does that work? Well, I mean, you have to understand everything that I've ever done from my own hand, it did not come from, you know how to talk about this shit, Chris. I don't know how to talk about it. And you'll, I mean, you're going to hear me that. I mean, because you know how to like go and sell people how to make their little thing even bigger. And that's like a, there's a business there, you know, I don't even, I've never even heard the term funnel. I've never even heard that, you know. Like I don't, I don't. A couple of years ago, embarrassingly, when when a woman called with her RFP, mm-hmm. I didn't even remember what it was for, you know, for proposal or whatever request for. I just didn't even. I just was like, what is that? I, I, I'm so far from all these like things. Like when I made a field note, you know, these little field notes, this little thing, it was certainly wasn't a company. I just want to make my own little non-entity thing, and I just, I like this size. I like this kind of like undesigned type. I'm going to use these things and I'll just give them to my buddies and there it is. What is it? Eh, it's a company. That goes back to skateboarding and snowboarding and like your buddies, you know, starting like one of my buddies started a thing called Cole Headwear, Brad Chaffelp. And see, I worked for him for 13, 12, 13 years as his little art director or whatever you want to call it, or just the maker of all the catalogs and goodies and shit. And that turned into a sizable, sizable um, retainer. When it just got too big, whereas, I mean, I was on the phone with him every day, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try other stuff. That's about five years ago now, four years ago. But, you know, these last five years, I've been on the road, you know, inventing more things for myself than someone bringing me things. So field notes, when I took that stack to Jim Kudal, Jim had the 10 years or 14 years on me, and he could see. He could see farther. With his 10 years above me, he could see that much farther. That's why. There's, a, there's this idea of the elders, and I defer to Jim to say, you know how to look a little farther. You know what it's like to raise a family. You know what it's like to go through this and that and help me with this and that. And that's exactly what he did, you know. And he saw something there, and basically we just shook hands. And he said, every buck we make, we're going to split it on the middle. You brought this incredible thing. I'm going to bring it to life. And that's what it was. And that's so I have to be really careful. It's not me busting that thing out day to day. It's Brian Bedell. It's Michelle Seiler. It's Trina Forsman. It's Jim Goodall. It's a ton of us. It's Dawson. It's Matt Jorgensen. It's all these people who work. You know, there's like eight, you know, staff that are working in uh, at Kudal Partners in Chicago on field notes like day to day. That's a lot of people. I come in, you know, uh, let's just say for a day every two weeks. You know, and Jim tasks me with a logo or tasks me with some colors or tasks me with some writing or, you know, come up. I need two new ways of doing this. Go. And, you know, he's, he's the den mother. He's the guy. So I owe, whew, you know, a big debt of gratitude to him because I don't live there, you know. And I always feel like if I was there and because of how what a fucking animal I am and how frenetic and fast and talk too much and the, the, the person that I would have screwed it up. But Jim knows how to get to the point. So, I mean, in that business, let's say, you know, I'm proud to report through frugal you know, management and f- small steps and then big creative returns, 
we've never had a penny of debt. Not one. Now, that doesn't mean that we make some big return at the end of the year by any stretch, but there's been some big years, you know. I mean, because it, it just, it was from a space where it was like, I paid two grand to make 2,000 books, and so what? It was just cool to do it, you know? Like, that's where, like, I have 2,000 of these things to give away to buddies. That's, that, there's a paycheck just there, right? So now, you know, for us to, you know, stay on top of the game and continue to make cool, you know, some of the books lose money, some of the books don't lose money. Some of the books, we lose our asses on the price, but that's what makes it cool because the next one we go to a little bit more conservative colors and there's a roller coaster to ride there, you know, and that's what Jim kind of watches over. So he'll come and hit me and he'll say, what are you thinking? Now, when I make my own stuff, you know, these little rogue editions out here in Portland, you know, that's me just kind of saying, you know, like a little bit like my tail between my legs, like, well, Jim and the gang, are they're making smarter decisions. I'm going to go screw something up. So I'll do that on my own here. And then, you know, that just comes out of left field. Those guys don't even see that coming. And that'll be me saying, but I wanted orange pages with a black cover with an orange foil, you know. And I had already probably proposed that to those guys, and they showed me. Well, we've already done this. We've done that. Do them on your own. So, you know, yes, I'm half owner of the company but i feel like i'm a, a good employee under jim you know what i mean like he comes he he built this thing mm. and i i just really love those guys because he took my and i didn't have that organizational vision i didn't have that sort of curiosity to see how to make it you know this way i didn't have the, the contacts he had he had you know guys like gruber that put it into their hands and that guy would talk about it and you'd see the numbers spike you know when we were on uncrate now Field notes, they put their stuff they put our stuff on Uncrate all the time. And we see spikes, but Jim knew how to handle that. When he put me on Uncrate, I remember a kid wrote me and said, Draplin, you're on Uncrate, get ready for the onslaught of orders. I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, I knew what Uncrate was because I'm a fan of looking at cool little knives and motorcycles and gadgets and cool shit and all the stuff that this these guys were curating. Every now and again I'd buy something. But when he put the DVC stuff on there, I was in no position to handle that kind of firepower, you know? And over the course of, you know, that day, 200 orders came in. 200. And it was 100 orders a day for 60 days. Wow. Like we were set up to do 10 to 12 orders a day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yes, it was nice to make that money. Well, see, Jim knows how to handle that kind of stuff. Jim knows how to, you know, sort of anticipate those things. We bring on staff when we need to bring on staff. You know, they train certain people to you know, handle that. We have... An incredible group of kids in there watching over that stuff day to day. If you put an order in right now for ten bucks worth of stuff, they're going to ship it out today, which is, you know, really impressive to me. When you mentioned when, when you would go rogue and make your own, was Jim yeah. printing those, or are you printing them somewhere else? No, I do them out here because okay. I just yes, I, I don't get to go on the press checks. You know, that's that's Brian mm -hmm. Bedell who gets to go be the wizard behind all the inks and stuff. He's you know he's our you know, he's a, he's a big, big part of this, Brian Bedell. You know, that's like, I call him the art director of Field Notes, whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, am I the I don't know. I don't, I don't, we're all in it. We all bang ideas. Some are good. Some aren't so good. I'll, I'll get shot down all the time. You know, these guys will let me know. Like, eh, it's a little weird. But I miss that stuff. I miss going and hanging out in the backs of print shops, you know. So I'll do those out here to get that buzz. And yeah, here's the deal. As, as smart as we try to be with Field Notes, I just want us to have some little shitty moments. <laughs> sure. So if you come to my talk, you're going to see some field notes you never saw in your life, and that's fun, you know? So we have a collector culture that is ferocious, and they buy all the shit up. It's incredible, you know, and it's just, uh, they're called the field nuts, and they trade these things. Our original field notes from uh, about 2006, 
2007. If you can get one of the, you know, the, the, the butcher orange or the butcher blue three pack sealed, those go for about a thousand bucks a piece now. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, stuff from three years ago that might be out of print, two years ago might be 80 to 100 on, on eBay, which is mm. just, you know, really, really cool. When I put my rogue, one up, rogue ones up on my little website, I had 5,000 three packs. We are down to 100 three packs. This is just me here in Portland. Yes, I sold some on the road, but, you know, the day they went up, we sold 3,000 three packs. That's where we're at here, and I just, you know, I think every single one of them, I, you know, I, I sign all their stuff. I go to these, you know, it's getting a little, you know, crazy, but where, you know, Jim helps me sort of, you know, anticipate and how to, you know, helps me handle that stuff. When we were just at um, Field Notes and, uh, you know, our sort of headquarters in Chicago, we had a little bit of a, uh, you know, book signing and uh, come hang out with us day, you know, so I was there to sign my book and sign Field Notes. It went for six hours nonstop of people coming and hanging out with us. And you know, I was signing their shit or meeting people or talking, you know, where they're from or recognizing names or hearing about their projects. It was, it was fucking incredible. It was exhausting, wow. but it was incredible. That's know? so cool. That's, that's where you see it, like, right on the front line, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. These are people. They enjoy this product. They enjoy all the little persnickety, you know, uh, decisions and type and staple colors and all the stuff that we nerd out on someone's enjoying this stuff you know and let's talk to them you know and let's keep it so you can afford that shit like i don't i want them to be 9.95 you know i'm so proud when we're on uncrate because it's like man there's some of the coolest stuff in the world on uncrate you know and to have our stuff on there well it's i'm just really proud because it's like then we're aligned with that or or whatever you know it's just an it's just an interesting thing to see how this uh the game of perception yeah we break the, i mean my whole thing with going on the road is i love to break down the idea that i'm something more than i am you know when they come up and walk up to me and talk to me i'm a person i brought the shit in to sell and I, and those posters are not 200 bucks they are 30 bucks and those are real screen prints like real persnickety and shit you know and I'm proud of that. Like, that's, that's a fair price. It's not, you know, 300 bucks or some big art price. It's, no, put it up, put, put it, tack it up on your wall and take it down after a couple months and get a puppy and line a crate, whatever. Hey. <laughs> hey. Shit, what am I even talking about? Well, you know, I think the success of Field Notes and how ubiquitous they are within the design culture is a testament to, I think, two things. One is the design of them, that they're super simple and utilitarian, and there's a beauty in that. I love looking at shipping boxes, and you look at the bottom and how somebody didn't really design it, but it's really cool. You're speaking my language, right? Man. You know what you're doing there? You are seeing, like, in the wild, perfect, perfectly unpretentious graphic design. Mm -hmm. It's just meant to work, and there's a language and a beauty there that will never be celebrated, and yet it's just as powerful as, I don't know, you know, the coolest of the cool, let's just say. Right. I'm glad that you recognize that stuff because a lot of people don't. That's what, you know, I take pictures of dead stuff and show it and champion it and shit, and it's mm -hmm. like one of my rules I always joke about is turn shit over. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you find the cool. I mean, you know, it's not even cool. It's just you find the little, um, a little, like a little gem, you know. Well, the other thing is a testament to your personal brand and 
the designs are cool and there's a cool story to go along with that and that makes for a great product. So here's my question for you. I think I have two more questions for you. Hopefully we okay. can get this in before you have to run. The first question is this is, so you've been lecturing a, a long time and I, I love that as a creative person that you're not afraid to step out there and be in front of people. So the question for you is this, is when did you know you were onto something that this, the Aaron Droplin, the DDC brand was something that people connected to or with? When was that clear? Was, was there a clear moment for you? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the first time I went and did one of these things, you know, I love talking about my, my, my stuff. I love talking with people, you know, and I, I went to a couple lectures in Minneapolis. Some were awesome. You know, Shepard Ferry was really cool. He just went through all of his work, told stories and was funny, but they whisked them out of there so fast. I was such a fan in 1998. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I know that shit from 1990, 91. Cause we used to send, you know, little SASE, you know, little self-addressed stamp envelopes to get his stickers from when he lived in like, you know, Rhode Island or whatever the hell he was at as a kid, North Carolina or whatever. So I know him all the way. I wanted to go up to him and say, you know, 1998, hey, I've known about you since 1990 or whatever when he started that shit. Because, you know, from skateboarding and zines and shit. Right. But they got him out of there so fast. I went to other talks in Minneapolis that were so pretentious, you know, or so big or just a little too full of themselves. It just scared the shit. I paid money for it. So when I got that chance to do it, I just said, well, you know, I want, to, I want it to be fun. I want to be accessible. I want to, you know, whatever I'm working on, that's part of the story. I'm going to sell it, you know, and brought posters and goodies and things and hats and shit. And it's, you know, it's hokey. It's like kind of corny that you've got like this merch table full of shit. But how's it any different than a band? You know, a band makes extra money by selling you their record, you know. So um, it was just very like sort of like in a weird little way, like I just wanted to go I just wanted to kind of experiment with that stuff. So the idea of getting up in front, I was, it was terrifying. And I just made a pledge to myself, like, you know, I'm just going to tell it like it is from my, from my little perspective. That's all it ever needs to be. It doesn't need to be anything bigger than that. It just needs to be real from what I do. And it needs to be, um, you know, if it gets a little weird, you talk about it. You know, if if you know if you got in some trouble with something, well, you you tell how you got out of that or whatever. You know, and and you know, I don't know. You you saw you know now you know four or five you know six years into this thing, you can see how people you know every couple of years have a new talk or a new thing they had to overcome or whatever. You know, and like you know for years there, I was just doing like an introduction to me because people would be like, well, who is this guy? They didn't know. You know, I would just do a sort of a general introduction, which tall tales from a large man. But in the last couple years now, I've had to mix that stuff up because people have already seen that shit, you know. So, you know, it's not like the working style or the methods have changed. But, no, the book is a whole new deal. And, you know, when you're kind of told, well, it may or may not do well. And then it did well, you know. Like, I want to talk about it. I want to put light on that and freak out, you know, because, frankly, I got to meet some people who did books and they would kind of lament you know like oh my thing's not selling like don't talk don't tell me about that you still made a book if you if you sell one or you sell one million you made a book person you know that's pretty cool why are you you know you know i heard these things that scared me i didn't want to be one of those i wanted to be someone that got to say we only sold 500 but the 500 we sold those went to the right people they went to the people that believe in what i do or get 
this dumb little perspective of mine, you know, whatever. Well, the book sold 33,000. And I'm real careful to talk about that because it's like, it sounds braggy, but no, I am proud as shit. That means 33,000 people got a copy of that shit. That is amazing to me, you know? Because I'm telling you, if it would have been 3,300, I would have celebrated it just as ferociously, you know? Mm. So the idea of getting up and sharing that stuff, or, like, what if I didn't even talk about what I do? I just got up there and messed with them with the cosmos, or made fun of Don Trump, or... um talked about where something was too big and i tried to help make it a little bit smaller because it's just more comfortable well i was proud to do that you know but you know like anything i don't know it's it's, sometimes it's scary getting up there you know and you know sometimes it's it's really 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 i mean it's usually really really fun it's just when you see someone kind of like scrunching their eyebrows at you you know in the front row because of like my non-take on big graphic design or my you know like sort of like me not taking the bait on something and making fun of it, you know. Like, I'm never going to get up there and call anyone out. I'm not. I mean, Don Trump's different, but I don't need to go up there and bash any fellow designers. I've never done any of that shit. Whatever, you know. But the thing is, is like, you know, there's stories. You know, there's stories. You hear one thing and then you react, and here's how I applied that reaction to my life, and here's why it was good. And there, you know, I don't know. It's a weird. I'm I'm proud to do it. It's fun to do. It's you know, it's fun to go places. It's fun to get on a plane. I get a lot done on the plane. You know, I get a lot done just going back and forth. And then I like going to that town because then, you know, my treat in Los Angeles last week was I got to go to one record store. You know, that was cool. And we hit a couple other things that Lee wanted to hit, my girl. But, you know, she did a couple couple of her things, saw some of her friends, and I did my job and, you know, met a bunch of people and, you know, heard stories from, oh, man, all over the world, from Romania all kinds of people, you know, and they're, you know, I get nervous that they don't even know, you know, like, um, like if they even speak, you know, like the kind of English, I, you know what I mean? Like some of those kids, there's this kid from Finland, he spoke better English than I speak, you know, <laughs> and yet, you know, it was really cool, man, you know, so I don't know. I really like it. It's, it's fun. It's been, and it's not the big shows. It's the little ones. The little ones are, have been really, really, really cool because, you know, I went to a little school in Minneapolis, but they had a big budget. You know, they could bring in some cool people. What happens when you go to a shitty little school with no budget? I go to a lot of those, you know, because I'm one of those kids in a lot of ways, you know. So I like to go. I, I love to go share with those guys and say, hey, this is what I do and how I do it. It's no big deal. You know? mm. Well, I know you said that in the beginning you were a little nervous, a little scared about being on the stage and looking at people and talking about your work, but obviously you've overcome that. But was there a point, a moment that, that you can point to that say, you know what, I might be onto something. The the story that I'm telling is connecting with people, and I, I enjoy doing that, and I think I should do more well, of that. I've had kids come up to me in tears. You know? Wow. And like they're like, you know what, I was always told I wasn't going to do anything with this shit, and you just showed me that you can be anything you want. It might only be in your basement, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I have to tell them, you can go do whatever you want, but you have to make sure that, you know, part of that, do whatever the hell you want, is how do you pay your bills? Okay? Mm-hmm. You know, let's just say that you never get to apply the thing, like, what's your favorite thing to make with graphic design? I'll ask that to a group of kids, and a couple hands will go up. And I'll say, okay, let's say you never get to apply that to how you pay your bills. So what? You still were doing what you wanted to do. 
the funny part about this is on dribbles and things and stuff and you know I don't know I'm, uh, tumblers and vowel shortages. Yeah, how come future has no e? There's no e's in the future. <laughs> Guys, was there a typo? It's a joke. It's a joke. Anyway, okay. So you know, I, I I've had kids come up to me who are moved. And I've also had kids come up to me and say, you know what? You're discounting graphic design by being this sort of like, you know, and I'm like, you're missing the point, man. You are missing the point. You want to work big? Go work big. See how that goes for you. Me, I saw it. I tasted it. Not that cool. You know, like, mm-hmm. the people come up who are threatened too, you know. Um, but really, the main thing is it's got to be fun. It's got to be chill. I love talking about working for my buddies. Or something small that was risky that turned into something really, really cool, you know, because that does apply to all of us, you know. And too many times it's only the guy up there talking about the big, the bigger, the biggest, the biggest, where they want to go, what they could have done, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, I'm more and more confident just to go up and not even show my work and just talk about how to think about this shit. And that gets a little weird. It's like some kind of motivational speaker shit. And I, I, that's, I want to show shit from the front lines. Here's how I solved something. Bam. There you go. You know, and that was there wasn't a penny involved. Here is something that was a big job, and here's how I solved it. You know, because that's a different thing than working for your buddy. I get it. You know, you have to have you know nicer emails and, and email. You know, going on meetings and you know uh, business. Dec- I mean, you know, whatever. You know, your 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 people always say to me, but well, wait a second. You know, when you opened up your folder, we saw a job in there that said something about Apple, and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm working for Apple. I can't talk about it, but you know they know you know i'm a good worker for them i do my job and you know and well what is it well we i can't talk about it well that's just weird well yeah so is business you know <laughs> but let's talk about working on this uh you know t-shirt for red fang some you know fucking scrubby heavy metal band my buddies in town here you know it's like you know the it's still the same application process to something big and scary you know i work my ass off if it's you're working for the big guys well, you're that much scared, more scared, you know, and your emails are that much tighter and your, your links are that much cleaner and everything. You know what I mean? Like you're just because you're working for the big guys. And that's just sort of a that's sort of a, a nod of respect, to like, you know, saying, hey, 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 you're trusting me with this big brand. And I, I use this stuff ferociously anyway. I want to do a good job for it. So that's different than when you're, you know, your scrubby buddies need a, you know, a free job for their little website or something. But I let them know clearly, hey, you are at the bottom of the pile. See these guys paying money? They're at the top. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's you know that's clear because you know I've had bands come in here who have no money and say we heard you work for free and I'm like no I, if I like your record I'll do your record let's do it you know and they're just like looking at each other like what all right let's go you know so I, I mean I like that shit yeah you know? why why can't we do that shit in our lives well we can and uh you go to the talk you'll you'll hear about that so if people dig that cool because I know there's I mean I have people come to me and say all kinds of shit. And I'll just be like, well, I did my best. I can't reach you out. But I'll have kids come up to me, and they're um, they're kind of moved, you know. And they say, I was going to throw this. You know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't like getting beat up like I do at my shit job. And I'll just stop and say, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm being redundant. I'll say, but wait a second, man. You are, you're making a living. Fuck them. Nine to five, do your job. Go home at 501 and make some cool shit. Some at some point it may or may not tip. If it doesn't, who cares? At least you're creative. If it does tip, and you get to make what you love for the, for some money, and I've seen it a million times. Go. It's time to go. You know. And and now five years later, I've got kids who 
are speaking on that same stage with me. Oh, that's great. That is insane. So I've got a little bit of perspective there, but, you know, I still love to go out there and, you know, know that just my size and my, just my face alone. I mean, if you, (laughs) have you really looked at me? It's tricky. (laughs) Be careful. (laughs) You might just call me and say, you know what? You're fired from this whole thing. (laughs) I was looking at your face for too long. You're fired. Just your face alone. (laughs) Because listen, that shit happens. You know, I have people kind of like, uh-oh, don't take this guy seriously. That's fine, you know? Like, right. I, don't, I don't give a shit. You know, fine. You know, what do you do? Oh, SEO? Great. That shit looks like, like a lot of fun, you know? <laughs> I'm making logos and bandanas. and I made a watermelon patch the other day because I love watermelon. <laughs> I'm making a patch for it. I don't care if I sell one of them. I love watermelon. So, yeah. That's great. I, I love your, your voice, your perspective. You're a small-town guy. And just you're doing it for all the right reasons, for the love of it, and, and you're celebrating that, and I think that's wonderful. And I know we couldn't make the event happen, but I'm hopeful that at some point in the future, perhaps people are listening to this and like, you know, these are two guys just trying to make it in the world, and they have very different ways of doing that. Me, I, I went a certain path, you went a different path, but there's yeah. room for everything in between. Well, there sure I, I is. That. I mean, because you, if, if you take the flip side of this stuff, like you're saying, you yeah. take, and I, I could point at some pretty impressive things. It's just not for me. It doesn't say it's right or wrong. Right. It's just not my way. But there is room for it, you know, yeah. and it's going to take a lot. You're right. I mean, I'm curious to do that because your crowd would be a little bit different for me to get in front of. You know, it's no different than when I got I got in front of a UX UI crowd this last, you know, in, in, in Los Angeles. And I was a little nervous, but it's like, no, here's my story. Here's how I did it. Here's how I reacted, you know, et cetera. And I, I right. you know, the woman wrote me today and said, we will definitely have you back. And I, I don't need to hear that. That was really cool to hear. I thanked her. But I just, you know, I just want to do a good job. I want to be a human being, you know. Yeah. Do a, share a fun little story and then be out of their hair, you know, like just plant a little seed. You know, I don't, I don't need that. I love when people come down to me because sometimes, you know, they're threatened or they think I'm from this angle and I'll gently sort of say, that's not my intention. That's right, not, right. not my intention. So I, I understand why you might take it that way, but that's not, you know, I'll just, if I have to correct them, at least for my, you know, my own peace of mind, I, I sort of will. But it just shows you how just big and how many different, you know, sort of factions there are in the world. There's a lot of different ways to do this stuff, you know. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to come up there and be, I don't want to be incendiary. It's meant to be fun. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. My name is Aaron James Draplin, and you were just listening to the future. How about that shit? The future is hosted by me, Chris Doe. The show is edited by Stuart Schuster. Big thanks to Adam Sanborn, who composed our theme song. To subscribe to the Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now SoundCloud. Make sure you rate and review our episodes. Don't miss out on upcoming events, live streams, workshops, and announcements by going to thefuture.com and sign up for the newsletter link at the bottom. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at thefutureishere. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode. See you in the future.